0: Hey guys, so slight change of plans. Uh, The episode that's supposed to come out today was supposed to be the one that I recorded with my friend Chantel, which it's still coming out just in the next release because I thought that this topic is actually a little more timely. And since Several Tangents is bi-weekly, I kind of wanted to get this out um, ASAP. So yeah, this episode, we're gonna be talking about the novel coronavirus outbreak, science, anti-vaxxers, and actual facts. So, if you follow the podcast on Twitter, which if you don't, you should, it's at several tangents, then you might have caught sight of a little tiff I got into with an anti vaxxer. Basically, they were saying that getting the flu shot lowers your immune response bearing in mind that I don't think they actually use the term immune response because that's a more scientific term. And this person clearly shows no understanding of scientific concepts. But, of course, I had to reply. I said something along the lines of, as a lab technician in a medical microbiology lab, you're going to have to give me some data on that because that's not how your immune system works. And it's not. How vaccines work is they take... Essentially, an inactive form of the virus, and then they inject it into you so that your immune system recognizes it. It doesn't have to fight it off because it's not an active virus. And so, the next time you come into contact with that particular virus, then your immune system already recognizes it and it fights it off easier and quicker, and you don't get sick from it basically. This is all very basic anatomy. Really, like how the immune system works, I learned in high school. never mind the fact that I, A, have a Bachelor of Science degree. Granted, it's in forensics, not in healthcare, but, you know, I had to take anatomy too. And also, I am a certified medical lab technician, which means I underwent the education required. And I'm certified by two organizations. I had to take two board exams. Well, actually, I didn't have to take two. I could have just taken one or the other. But because I'm a stereotypical Asian overachiever, I took both. So I am not only qualified by education, but I am also board certified, and I am currently working in microbiology, which means I am working with samples and cases related to infectious pathogens like influenza, like the coronavirus. So this person goes on to say that data is just data, it's everywhere, it means nothing which already shows that they don't understand what data actually is and how research works because data shows trends. And when you look into those trends and you figure out the cause, that's how you come up with an understanding of how the world works. She goes on to say that in her experience, people who get sick or they get the flu or whatever, find it much easier to get sick again probably while they're still sick with the first thing. And yes, that is true. It's called a secondary infection. And basically, your body, your immune system, everything is weakened from fighting off that sickness. So it makes you just more susceptible. That's kind of common sense, but it is scientific fact. But here's the thing. Getting a flu shot and getting the flu is different because, again, vaccines contain inactive forms of the pathogen. They are not getting you sick. So... Rather than actually going back to the flu shot, she continues down this route of getting sick and then getting sick again, which I'm not arguing with. It's the fact that she was pointing out that the flu shot was the cause of it, or she's saying that people who get the flu shot end up getting sick. And all of this is what she learned from her own experience and people around her. But here's the thing. That's correlation, not causation. Now, I live in Canada. Our healthcare system is decent. I mean, it definitely has its flaws, and I'm allowed to say that because I work in the healthcare system. But, you know, we have, as a population, generally good health. And actually, I've got like an immune system of steel. And this is compounded by both personal experience and scientific fact uh, because I used to travel a lot as a kid. I still travel quite a bit. um, But because I traveled so much when I was a kid, I got sick a lot from all these different pathogens in these new environments. And now I am barely ever sick. If I get sick, I'm only down for maybe a day or two, and then I'm back up. Also, more recently, when I got my job at the hospital, I did have to have my blood taken so that they could test immunity for, you know, the common diseases, measles, mumps, et cetera, et cetera, varicella, all that stuff. Actually, am I going to explain how titers work? Uh, probably not, because... That is too in-depth, and I am not prepared for that. But basically, I was able to fight off a pretty high concentration of the pathogens' um, antigens, which is the markers that tell your body that it is this foreign invader thing. Um, Yeah. Look, if I had more preparation, I would be able to describe this a lot better. Um, If you do want more scientific explanations, not about healthcare, but about forensic science, then I'm going to quickly plug my other podcast, which has just... Aired its first episode this week called Forensic Friends, where me and my forensic friends, Dylan, who you've heard on this podcast, and Natalie, who you also heard on this podcast and is also host of Some Kind of Brown, um, we talk about forensics and we teach you forensics and stuff. Plug over. But basically, yeah, I actually do have a pretty strong immune system. So if I get sick, I'm only sick for a day or two. Um, And one time I was sick for four days, which was the worst I've been sick in a very long time. So I don't actually know if all I had was just the common cold, which is caused by the rhinovirus, or if I've actually had the flu, because I feel like although the flu is certainly more severe, I fight it off well enough that I might not actually notice the severity. And I also downplay my symptoms a lot. Uh, which I think I've talked about in other episodes. But yeah, so going back to that argument where now this person never actually said that they've noticed people getting their flu shots and then getting sick. They just said they've noticed people getting quote unquote the flu and then getting sick again. But in a country where our healthcare system is relatively decent, where our population's health is relatively decent, a lot of times you might not be able to tell what is the flu and what's just a cold. A lot of people will say, oh, I've got the flu, when in fact you do not. There is a test for flu and at least in Ontario, you're not even allowed to get that test done if you haven't been admitted into a hospital. So yeah, maybe someone got the flu shot and then ended up getting sick, but maybe they're not sick with the flu because When you get your flu shot, it's around flu season, which is also cold season. Now, another myth is that the cold causes you to become more susceptible to getting the cold, but that is in fact false. It's just that the virus is more active around wintertime for whatever reason, and you just end up getting sick because it's more active. Um, Again, correlation, not causation. But yeah, you're getting your flu shot around the time that everyone else is getting sick. So you might be protected from the flu, but there's no cold vaccine. So you could get your flu shot and still get the cold. So just because someone's telling you, oh, I got my flu shot and now I'm not feeling well, I've got the sniffles, I've got a fever, doesn't mean it came from the flu shot. And now just a little bit more shade because she told me to ask my doctor that if it's true that people get more easily sick if they're already sick, which, first of all, I already acknowledge that, yes, that is called a secondary infection. And that happens, but not when you get a vaccine, because getting a vaccine is not the same as getting sick. But also, um, bitch, I work in a hospital. I work with doctors. Doctors consult me for help, which is weird when I think about it, but also not. Because a lot of the residents here who are doctors are really quite young and I guess maybe not as experienced. And also when this was happening, I was actually at work on break and around me were my fellow technicians, other technologists, microbiology, and other labs. And we do have medical microbiologists who are doctors, um, both of the MD variety and the PhD variety, so therefore very smart, very knowledgeable, and they deal with the most convoluted, complicated, confusing, scary pathogen related cases in the hospital. And yeah, everyone laughed at this very idea. Like it's not, the idea of a secondary infection is not groundbreaking. Um, Also, if you were to ask your doctor, guess what? Your doctor is going to tell you to get vaccinated. Yes, yeah, because literally like all of the screensavers and you know, those info TV screen things in hospitals, yeah, all of them are reminding you to get your goddamn flu shot. Because you might be able to fight off the flu, but your grandparents might not. Or, you know, people who've recently had transplant and are on immunosuppressants, or maybe they have certain other disorders that prevent them from getting the vaccine themselves. Yeah, they're not, if you get them sick, they're not going to be able to fight it off as easily, which is why it is so goddamn important to get your goddamn vaccines. (sighs) You know, at the end of this... She basically says, I think the tweet started out with mercy. And I just wanted to go, no, there is no mercy for anti-vaxxers because you guys cause deaths. But she said, well, my experience is proof enough for me. Um, enjoy your view. And like, excuse me, that's not my view. It is science. Your view or your opinion is like, I don't think so-and-so is that great of an actor. Or I don't like the way this color looks on me. That is indisputable because it is your opinion. I told her, like, you're spreading misinformation that can really get people really sick or really dead. Um, and that was, you know, the last response. I think she blocked me or went private or whatever because I saw that other people were also responding. Um, rightfully so. I know anti vaxxers are out there, and unfortunately, they're on the rise because of this mass panic and spread of misinformation. Um the problem with the internet is while you have a boatload of good information and good education, but you know if you don't necessarily possess some critical thinking abilities, um, it's very easy to be misled, and it's really easy to become passionate about things that aren't real or true. It's very important... I mean, especially on the internet, but also in life, to really critically think about something. Think about where you're getting that information and, you know, who else has looked at that information and how accepted it is by people who are smarter than you. Because even though I am more qualified maybe than just the average person to talk about, you know, infectious diseases and vaccines and stuff, I'm far from an expert. Again, like, I mean, I do have I have had some doctors like ask me questions about diseases and and really that's beyond the scope of my practice, even though I might have the knowledge based on previous education or what I learned during my job because, you know, doctors are not infallible and doctors are not experts in every single thing. They're experts in their chosen fields. And if they're general practitioners or, you know, family doctors, then their scope is very wide, which means they're a jack of all trades, but a master of none, which is why they consult other experts. It is important to consult experts. It's important to understand what makes that person an expert. And going back to the whole anti-vax movement they're firstly relying a lot on um, this quote-unquote study that was debunked again and again and again by actual experts. Now, in my other podcast, Forensic Friends, we talk about the admissibility of evidence in a court of law. And obviously, our everyday lives don't have to be quite as strict as a court system, although with all the bullshit that happens in the legal system, maybe it's not that strict. But another topic, another day. Maybe another podcast. Um, But it's still kind of important to take these principles into account because it's the same idea. You want to look at this information and, firstly, if it even makes logical sense. Um, Sometimes science does defy logic, but your first gauge is like, wait a second, that doesn't sound right. And that makes you look further into it. So you might not necessarily need to be an expert in that field, but questioning is okay. So that's why you consult the expert. Now, who is this expert? What are their qualifications? Did they read this off like a rando article somewhere on Facebook? Or do they have a formal education? Because even though sometimes the information that you get from your education might be outdated by this point, it's still stuff that has been tried and true, usually speaking, and tested and reviewed by other people of that field. Like if they have an education in it, they're probably more knowledgeable than you if you don't. And now obviously education doesn't mean everything. What's their knowledge and experience with this? And what do they understand of this? And something else to consider is, is this information widely accepted by other verified and legitimate experts in this field? Because well, that's what happened with the guy who published this so-called study that vaccines cause autism. Um, this information was widely disputed like it it's already been debunked. At the end of the day, yes, your experience is important, but, That's pretty surface level when it comes to the wider picture, which ironically this person was like, well, data doesn't give you the wider picture and working in a lab doesn't make you open-minded. But like it, that's the opposite. Think of it as reading like a Yelp review or a Google review. If you're going to look at all of these positive reviews saying that this restaurant was great. The service was great. The food was amazing. The price is decent for what it is. And then you see like the two or three people who came in and maybe it was super busy. So their food was late or they felt rushed and they leave a bad review. No one's trying to invalidate their experience. No one's trying to say, no, you didn't have a bad time. You're lying. But it's important to notice the trends of all these good reviews. I mean, assuming there are legitimate reviews, but well, you know, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, like if all these people are saying it's good and you're the unlucky person who came here on a bad day, your experience is real, but it's not representative of that establishment. And that's the same with talking about science and your experiences versus data and research. Just because you experience something a certain way, you know, you might be an outlier, which does exist, or what you perceive as the cause of your experience is not actually the cause because you didn't look into it. You just made assumptions. And that's what was happening here. Yeah, people might have gotten sick after getting their flu shot, but that doesn't mean they were sick with the flu. That just means they were sick because everyone around them is coughing. (laughs) Correlation versus causation. Very important. And, you know, until you have more solid indication of what you're saying, you really shouldn't be spreading misinformation. And yeah, illnesses and stuff are scary, like, you know, the whole novel coronavirus outbreak. There's a lot of information coming from a lot of different places, and not all of them have it right. And, you know, boomers, like, they will soak up anything they see on Facebook, which I am unfortunately the brunt of in my household because my aunt, my dad, and my mom are boomers. Um, My mom is not on Facebook but she listens to the radio and they're also not the most legitimate sources of information but my aunt is very active on Facebook and she will tell me these random things and I'm like no that is that is wrong but yeah there's a lot of misinformation spreading about the coronavirus a lot of panic and i thought maybe i should do my part and kind of giving everyone a slight understanding again i am not an expert i just have Knowledge from reliable sources like Public Health Ontario, the World Health Organization, etc., etc. So, firstly, this is a novel coronavirus. I don't think they gave it an official name, but right now it's being acknowledged as a 2019-NCoV, 2019 for I guess the year that it emerged. N meaning novel, CoV being the shortened form for coronavirus. Coronavirus there's many. Um, I don't know if people are that aware or remember the MERS-CoV, which is a Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome coronavirus, uh, which is also highly infectious. And actually, when we send that sample, like, we have to go through a couple protocols. Um, And then there's just, like, a seasonal coronavirus that is more common Not as deadly. What makes this one novel is because it spread from animal to human and it is a strain that we have not seen yet. Therefore, understanding of it is obviously still a little shaky. And the reason that it spreads so quickly and has killed so many is you have to consider where it originated and when, because it was spread in Wuhan, China around the time of Lunar New Year. So, China, as you might know, has a very big population which already makes it easier to spread diseases. You know, lots of people in close proximity to each other. And considering that it's Lunar New Year, so everyone's traveling within and without China to visit their family for the celebrations, you'll have people coming into Wuhan and therefore adding to the population density. And then you'll have people who might have gotten the infection leaving Wuhan to visit family elsewhere, taking the infection with them. So the spread is pretty high. And of course, of the people it killed, unfortunately were people who were vulnerable, the elderly, the people who are already sick, people with um, autoimmune diseases, et cetera. I think it was last week, the World Health Organization declared a global emergency, um, which does definitely add to the panic. Now in Canada, I believe we have had a total of four confirmed cases, two in Toronto, And one of them was actually sent home uh, within a couple of days because he was seen to be recovering and doing quite well. And so he was just kept in isolation to prevent infecting others, but his condition was fine. And I don't know the numbers for the states because I don't pay attention to the states. Sorry, guys. But I know the numbers aren't quite that high either. The World Health Organization declared a global emergency, not for the fear that this is really a global emergency, but for the countries whose populations are weaker and less equipped to deal with this kind of infection. Like in the hospital I work at, you know, obviously people are taking more precautions. There's also these protocols to screen more patients and to make sure that everyone is protected and that the people who are found to be positive, which wasn't at my hospital, actually, it was at a different hospital or two different hospitals. I can't remember. Um, But yeah, like people who are found positive, they're kept in isolation, they're treated for their symptoms. You know, we have a decent healthcare system here. And we are able to help those who are found to be positively infected. And also, relatively speaking, Canada has a very small population density. Um, I am in Toronto and I work in downtown Toronto. So yeah, there's a lot of people there and I'm on the subway also and it's jam-packed during rush hours. So that, of course, increases the chance of infecting other people if you do have the virus. But relatively speaking... Uh, the chance of it spreading very far is much smaller than a much more populous country, and especially one with a weaker healthcare system or w- less access to healthcare. So this is really this global emergency is really to prevent those countries from having a really bad outbreak. Now, one of the confirmed uh, infected individuals in Toronto was sent home because he was improving. If you are a healthy individual with decent access to healthcare, so you can be treated for your symptoms, you're going to be fine. The concern, again, is for those who are more vulnerable, for those who are maybe already sick, um, because it is technically still flu season and cold season. So again, like, yeah, secondary infection. And, you know, for people with autoimmune diseases, people who are immunocompromised, the concern lies with them. If they get sick, then it's going to be pretty bad. But otherwise, like, just take the precautions that you would take during cold season. You know, wash your hands relatively often. You know, avoid touching your face like your mucous membranes or your eyes, your nose, your mouth um, before you've properly cleaned your hands. Hand sanitizer does help, but hand washing is generally better. And if you're sick, stay home, gauge it, see how sick you really are. Obviously, you know, try not to infect other people, but If it feels like just another cold, then it's probably just another cold. Now, around this time, there's a lot of um, Asians wearing masks. And culturally speaking, I know a lot of people probably wear. but culturally speaking, uh, it is just courteous if you are sick to wear a mask. So you're firstly not coughing on other people, which is gross whether or not you're sick. And secondly, you're kind of, you know, like I might, I may or may not be infectious, but just in case, here you go. I'm in a mask. Um, I know people are weary because in the West, they're not used to seeing that. Although, honestly, like there are so many Asians here and a lot of them do wear, will wear masks if they're sick or even for fashion, like the fabric ones. I, I don't think anyone's really bat an eye that I can tell because there have been, you know, people on the subway with masks. I know that some people are like, oh, no, they've got the virus. Look, if someone has the virus, they're probably not going to be wandering around on the subway or whatever. Like, chill. But the problem with the mask is that people don't really know how to use them properly. Now, these masks are disposable. They're meant for single use only. So you shouldn't be wearing one, taking it around with you everywhere, And then putting it back on the next day. Because think about it logically. Let's say there is someone who is sick and you're wearing a mask. And they cough the droplets, like aspirin from their cough, goes onto your mask, but it protects you from inhaling it. So that's great. But then you go and touch your mask with your hands, which I've seen someone do. And now it's on your hands. And, you know, it's fine if you're washing your hands. But if you think the mask is going to be your only protection that you need, then... Now you've got ick on your hands. And I've also seen someone shove their mask into their bag, you know, with their other belongings. So whatever stuff it might have stopped from entering your nose or mouth um, is now all over your stuff. So, yeah, like working in a hospital, working in a lab, we actually got training for the proper donning and doffing of protective equipment or personal protective equipment, PPE. Obviously, you know, the general public does Not need, you know, the full Ebola getup, which we did, of course, have to learn how to properly don and doff. But there is a method to doing this to prevent infection. So if you are going to use a mask, at least use it properly. You don't need it really. Chances are you're fine. But if you're going to because you feel nervous, then at least do it properly because otherwise you're really defeating the purpose. So yeah. There's a lot on the news about this novel coronavirus and a lot that people don't know. So if you're nervous about it, if you're anxious about it, it's important to stay updated um, with reliable sources of information about what's going on, what this actually is, and what precautions you yourself actually need to take. You could be cautious, but there's really no need to panic And actually panicking obviously makes things worse because it heightens the spread of misinformation, which like the whole mask and not putting it on properly could, you know, get people to do something wrong and maybe end up hurting themselves or other people. So yeah, I'm going to get off my soapbox now and go back to the usual ending spiel If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, I actually do own an Apple device now, so I can actually see it. And of course, subscribe or follow or whatever it is on the platform that you're listening to so that you can stay up to date with all of the new episodes. Uh, You can find Several Tangents on social media at Several Tangents on both Twitter and Instagram you've got something longer you want to send us, uh, there is an email, severaltangents at gmail.com. And one more plug for my new podcast, Forensic Friends. It is a podcast about forensic science hosted by me because I have a degree in forensic science. And also Dylan, who also minored in forensic science. And Natalie's also there to make sure that we make sense. And it's great fun. We talk about fingerprinting. And the next episode is going to be a fun one. And they're all going to be fun. So check that out. Forensic Friends, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's it. Bye.